listening to Truth To You Radio with John on Truth To You. That's truth number two, letter U dot org, where you can sign up for the weekly newsletter. You can also keep up to date via iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. G'day to Sandru in Shillong, India. How about that? India. Wow. G'day, mate. And uh, you now I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Jeff. Jeb uh, wrote a, a comment uh, saying, I have been so blessed by you three discussing the scriptures. I've listened over and over again to all the Torah pearls posted here for months now, trying to soak it all in and study along with you. My life has truly changed by the insights I've been learning. Thank you so much. I hope you guys can either continue through the rest of the Tanakh or go back through the Torah again after you come to the end of Deuteronomy. May Yehovah bless you. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Great Jeff. comment. Appreciate that. Benjamin. Benjamin writes, uh, thanks again for publishing the Pearls Nehemia. He writes, I finished your book that uh, I bought from you in Clermont. It was very well written. I really loved following you uh, following you through the hikes that you took in the valleys. Blessing to you and you three. Well, thank you, Benjamin. And as I mentioned, it is is an excellent book. Uh, Shattering the Conspiracy of Silence. You can get it at NehemiahsWall.com. Uh, Nehemiah, spell it for us again. N-E-H-E-M-I-A-S-W-A-L-L, NehemiahsWall.com. There it is. Pedro. Pedro. Can I, Pedro? Pedro said, Yono. Wait, wait, wait. I have a question. Wait, Yono. Maybe it's Yono. No, no, no. Yono, how do you do the whole rolling of the tongue thing? Do that again. What? You you can't do the rolling of the tongue? No. Pedro. (laughs) What? Are we talking to two guys that can't roll their R's? I can say Pero and Pera. I had a pair hey. named Georgia. <laughs> Pedro. Pedro said, Yono. Yeah. He knows that there's no J in Hebrew. All I can say is outstanding, Torah Pearls. Yehovah, who are Elohim, made our loving father. <laughs> may our loving father continue to bless all of you. Please continue to do the work you guys are doing. Shalom. Thank you, Pedro. Rebecca. Rebecca wrote, Wow, this is. This is an excellent discussion. All three of you guys are on fire, and I want to say thank you for uh, you all being willing to discuss the more controversial aspects of Scripture. Not all of us have friends with whom we can discuss these things, and it's encouraging to hear the different perspectives being addressed with respect. Uh, May Yehovah bless you all. Thank you, Rebecca. Dan and Heidi. Dan and Heidi. Man, Dan. I love Dan. Dan's the man. Dan sent me a set of Sennheiser headphones that I've got on now. Wow. I'm wearing them now. They're oh, the the sound, the the crystal clear sound. Thank you so much, Dan. They're hugging my head. I feel, I truly feel loved. They're just cushioning my brain. <laughs> anyway, he 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 and Heidi. He's cushioning for my brain. <laughs> he he writes. We love you guys dearly, and we'll see you in Israel. Thank you for your gift of Torah pearls to us. We cherish it. Hey. Pete. Keep talking about it. They're coming to Israel with us. They're coming hey, to Israel. They're say, coming let to. Me, the, let me come on. let me say something right now, folks. If you have not gone to hishollowoodname.com and gone to the three T tour, or have not gone to Truth to You and seen the three T tour, you're missing it. And I can't even promise you if there'll be space because when I get back, hopefully <laughs> from Israel with Pamia, <laughs> that will be the deadline for the first uh, the first deadline to see who's available, who's not. And so, if you're interested at all, there is space available. We got information. There's an itinerary going out soon. And by the time you listen to this, you'll be able to go to the 3T Tour on either one of those sites and get just a whole bunch of information, and hopefully there'll be spots left. Please consider it. It's going to be an amazing, amazing time. We're taking truth to you to the world from the land of Israel. 
from the land. <laughs> Looking forward yes. to it in the first couple of weeks of March. Can't wait, my friend. It'll be the first time yes. I'll be there, and we're going to be uh, recording as, as much as we can and yes. putting it out to you, the dear listeners. And thank you, dear listeners, for being so generous and helping me get over there. Very much do appreciate it. LaDonna. LaDonna said, g'day, g'day, g'day. Thank you, Jono, for not g'day, editing g'day, g'day. out nearly as much as Keith and Nehemia think you do. <laughs> wait a minute, what? So, <laughs> Wherever you are around the world, thank you for joining us once again. It is time what for Tales from the Torah portion with Keith Johnson. What did she and say? You got in. I'm Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> She's not been doing the editing. We've been asking him to do what the heck. Hey, look, I got a, a letter I'd like to read. Can I read a letter? Go on, this please. Was, this was sent to me by a man uh, named John, and he writes, uh, he says, I am a rabbinical Jew who is a student of Karite tradition and respect their practices. I also look at the Talmud as a guide, not that it supersedes the Torah. I wanted to ask privately to you, why are you seemingly... And, and, I, and I feel free to now read this publicly, by the way, because he's now posted this on Facebook since. Uh, I wanted to ask privately to you, why are you seemingly assisting the Christian faith in promoting their idolatry over Torah observance? I'm going to read that again. Why are you seemingly assisting the Christian faith in promoting their idolatry over Torah observance? I've listened to over 200 hours of the Truth To You podcasts, Woo-hoo. and... Though you, yeah, that's impressive. I haven't even listened to 200 hours. And though you seem to distance yourself from conversations regarding Christian doctrine, you seem to openly attack rabbinical Judaism and passively allow Christianity and their evangelism. I'm sure I'm not the only one who asked this question, but I do it out of respect from a Jew to a Jew. I wish to understand your rationale and what is your ultimate goal. With great respect, John. I want, I want to answer this question. I, I, think, I think it's a, it's a good question. It's a really good question. Good one. And, John. you know, if I, were, if I was uh, him 15 years ago, I was him. If I was him 15 years ago and I was listening to 200 hours of this Truth to You stuff, I wouldn't have been as generous as he was in that letter. Mm-hmm. I would have been far more critical of this uh, Nehemiah Gordon, the wandering Jew in Florida. I, I would have, uh, you know, heard the things that are being spoken here and I, I don't, you know, I think what, what's happened for me over the years is I feel like I've, I've grown uh, from the place where, you know, I really, I, I came before God many years ago with no humility whatsoever, thinking I knew everything and therefore I was, I was able to sit as the judge, jury and executioner of every other human being who passed before me in my presence. I would say, that's the wrong doctrine you've got. No, you've got the good doctrine. You're okay. You've got the wrong doctrine. You're, you're not okay. And, you know, over the years, I've learned humility. I've learned that there are things that I don't know that only Jehovah knows. And I pray to him that he uncover my eyes that I may see those things. Mm-hmm. And we haven't done that prayer recently, have we? Um, and uh, Every week, what are you talking about? Did we? Okay. Um, <laughs> what the listeners don't know is we haven't recorded an episode in a month because these are all pre-recorded. You're not to tell them that. <laughs> you're not I, I revealed it. Edit anyway, so... <laughs> Anyway, so, so, but, but in all seriousness, you know, um, he, what the question essentially he's asking is why is it? And I think we've answered the question throughout the program. Mm-hmm. The question he's asking is why is it that you know Nehemiah is critical of rabbinical Judaism, but not of the Christians, and Keith is uh, essentially critical uh, of his own tradition and not of Judaism. And and it's exactly that that what we've said in the, throughout the program is that. Uh, it's not my place in this program to come as the critic of Christianity because I didn't come from Christianity. I don't have that heritage. I've got, you know, I don't have any connection to that. Um, what I can do is look at my own heritage and you know give my feedback to it. That, that's, that I feel is a legitimate response in this context. And I feel I think that's what Keith has done as well. Is he's reacting to his own heritage and um, you know and and you know and responding rather than going and 
you know, looking at the speck in someone else's eye, he's talking about the the pole in his own eye. <laughs> Where did I get that from? I think there was an ancient rabbi who said Keith, that. Keith What's and that? I, yeah, no, Keith and I. Yeah, I don't know what you are, Jonah. That's why I didn't say anything. But um, <laughs> I can never figure you out. But no, but, but whenever but, we whenever we look back on our own uh, mm-hmm. experiences and our own yeah. tradition, that is, you know, we have a right to be critical of that and to, and to look at that and to it's and to say right. and say so you look at your tradition and you do the same and your your where you came from was a rabbinical background. You have a right. Right to speak uh, in regards to that, but when uh, Keith and I put under the microscope uh, that which we came from, you really don't have the the way to weigh in there, right? Right. Look, it's not you know. I could talk about it like some theoretical thing, like I'm looking at something, like 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 I'd be talking about that Aztecs you know celebration with all the skulls, right? Like we talked. Yes. You know, to me, it's this you know strange exotic thing. I don't mm-hmm. feel that it's my place to speak into that. Whereas you who come from that, you have every you know every right to, and really an obligation to in some respects. And sure. I feel like it's my obligation to speak about you know my own tradition that I came mm-hmm. from, and uh, and that's why you know he what he's calling openly critical of rabbinical Judaism. Okay, I accept that. I'm also openly critical of 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 the Karite movement. There are people in Karite Judaism who uh, who have who have tried to turn Karite Judaism into another denomination, another sect, another another mm-hmm. you know an, another. Um, Another ism, and, and that's really not what it, what it is to me. What it is to me is an approach to scripture. Uh, Karite means scripturalist, and as a Karite Jew, I'm a scripturalist. I say, what does it say in the Word of God? In in this case, Kara is the Old Testament. What does it say in the Kara, the Mikra, the Tanakh? Um, and I want to live my life according to that without the obstruction of man-made rules and regulations, mm-hmm. without the, the uh, interference of uh, man-made institutions, but directly Amen. interacting with God through his word. And that's Amen. what it means to me to be a Karite Jew. And those who try to make it into a denomination, I'm going to be critical of them because, you know, they're, they're, they've hijacked what to me is, is, uh, is the, tr- you know, the, the true way, to, for me at least, the true way to approach the word of God. And, um, you know, but this. for me to come and, and be critical of, you know, of uh, Methodist, you know, Christianity, I don't even know what that's about. I still can't figure it out after 10 years of doing these. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say, uh, can I can I can I weigh in a little? Uh, first of Keith, all, I want please. to tell I want to tell John if he's listening that uh, uh, I was uh, overwhelmed and honored that you spent that much time listening. I don't know mm-hmm. if there are other people who come from my tradition that would actually even have a person like John that would be listening to what we're talking about. And so I want to tell John's him a, first. John's of a all, dedicated listener. Th- thank you for listening to what we're doing. Second of all, I, I would like to agree with him that uh, that I think it would be hard. If I'm him and I'm sitting and listening into sometimes for my Jewish brother, for Nehemiah, to be able to share with things that maybe are very, very close, uh, near and dear to his heart. In the same way, I think it's probably hard for some, some, some Johns that are not John that are listening to, to some of the things that I would say or some of the things that J- Jonah would say. And I think what the beauty of this program is, is that we're all sort of coming together trying to find this common ground. And that's why I hope that the Johns will continue listening, both on the Christian, Jewish, Messianic, and any other side, especially as we're talking about the Word of God. Because there are mm. some things in the Word of God that are going to bring to the forefront Nehemiah's tradition, Jonah's tradition, whatever it might be, certainly my tradition. And I think all of us at times are going to be sitting here with a little bit of discomfort. And that's why Torah pearls is so important. Mm-hmm. And that's why folks like John, whether they be John the Jew or John the Christian, or John the Messianic, John the Baptist. John the, I don't know. No, John the Baptist. That those people, the Johns and the Jans, would keep listening, so that we can work through this. Okay. Now, if we get to a situation where where all of a sudden my tradition trumps uh, the Word of God, and I, we're on we're on we're on oh. Torah pearls, for example, 
and we're 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 in some some portion, and I'm like, well, I've got to protect my tradition at all hopes. I hope that Jono, you would step in, or Nehemiah, you would step in and say, Keith, that right there is contrary to the word of God. Now, here's where my my liberal friend Nehemiah goes a little far sometimes. He is so nice toward all of the Christians and the Messianics. It's amazing. This is my my friend Michael says he calls him the best friend. And I think if I was John, I'd be like, well, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Why are you being so nice? Let me say something. And I want to give this to you, Nehemiah, as, as, a, as, an, as an honor. What I do think has been beautiful, Jono, is that Nehemiah, when I first met him 10 years ago, and I'll tell the truth here, he was, he was, he was a bit of a... Um, he I was, was a worse than John, guy. let's be honest you know, here. <laughs> John, John, you'd, you'd be proud of him. You'd be, you'd see, <laughs> I mean, this guy, when we, first, when we first met, I mean, he was as tough as tough can be. And what I think the beauty of what's happened is there has been a humility, there has been a level of him saying, you know what, okay, that's where you come from, I'm not going to step in and beat you over the head with my Torah scroll, let's see if we can find some common ground. And you know what, it's working, and it's working with people on all sides. So thank you for the people like John that are listening, stay in there with Mm. us, and help keep us, our feet to the fire on the Word of God, period. Thank you very much. Amen, amen. Yeah, thank you, John, thank you for listening, and thank you for questions and comments like that. And I'll also say... Uh, and I'm sure John has probably noticed this uh, at least once or twice, but it's it's uh, stood out to me on quite a number of occasions that uh, Nehemiah, you will say in our discussions, "Hey, I got to give credit to the rabbis." Yada yada yada, and you'll go on to say, and and how many Amen. times Keith does oh, he does he I, say all the, time. all the time? Keith doesn't he say, "I've got to give credit to the rabbis," and you say why, and you explain it, and uh, that happens more often than not, I find. Yeah, I want to no, know when's he going to say I'd like to give credit to the Methodists. That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so I can figure out what they uh, what they're all about. Um, there so, <laughs> well, there no, I mean what, what I mean by that is like what's the difference between you know? And I know you've tried to explain this to me, like the difference between the Methodists and the Baptists and the Lutherans, and I still can't figure that out. But anyway, um, so here, here I want to answer John's question in a more, in a more um, uh, direct way. Which is, you know, what is it about? What's my motivation here? And and my motivation, I think, if I can summarize it in one sentence, is I want to empower Jews and Christians without with, with excuse me, I want to empower Jews and Christians with information about the Hebrew sources of their respective faiths. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing. And, and what and what I mean by that is, whatever you believe, you need to believe that based on um, on solid information. You know, if you want to believe that the moon is made out of green cheese, knock yourself out. But but you owe it to yourself to make that determination based on solid information, and uh, and you know go and research that, and you know what information is there about you know the people who landed on the moon, and they did, did they discover green cheese? Is there any evidence of that? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and, and and so and so really, that's what I'm trying to do is empower people with information about the Hebrew sources of their faith. Judaism, obviously, our primary sources are in Hebrew. Christianity's original sources were primary, primarily in Hebrew, and uh, and were Jewish sources originally. And and if you're going to be a Christian, then you should you should know uh, what those sources are and what they say the best you can. You know, I mean, I, I I speak to Christians all the time who tell me they believe in Jesus, and then when we get down to the nitty gritty, they don't know the first thing about what Jesus taught. I mean, this man roamed around the Galilee and Judea for three years, through three and a half years, depending on who you ask. Some people say it was less. They say it was one year, whatever. He, 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 you know, roamed around as this itinerant preacher and preached all these beautiful, wonderful things, and the people who say they believe in him don't even know what he really preached. They, they know a little sound bite here and a sound bit there, but, and we'll actually get to one of the things that he did preach maybe later in this Torah portion if we ever actually get to it. Um, and, um, 
And I and I say the same thing to Jews. We we're taught in Exodus 19 that we are to believe in Moses forever. But if we don't know what Moses said in its original history, language, and context, then we're doing a disservice to ourselves. Amen. And um, and it's not for me to judge the Christians. Say you believe the wrong things. That's mm. that's between that man and God or that woman and God to work out for themselves in uh, uh, fear and trembling with with prayer and study. Uh, what I can do is I can empower them with information so they can. Mm-hmm. They can, um, you know, make informed decisions. And look, there's a lot, and this is what makes John so uncomfortable, is that sometimes I'll give people the information that might not necessarily lead to my belief and to John's belief. And I I think that's okay, because if the person works it out in fear and trembling with prayer and study and uh, stands before the Creator in truth, you know, there's this verse that's so powerful, this verse... um, and I always think of my friend uh, Reggie White of Blessed Memory. Whenever I think of this verse, it's the verse that says, It's in Psalms that says, Yehovah is close to all who call him, to all who call him in truth. And, um, you know, and I don't know if I've told the story in the Torah pearls, but, but when, when uh, my friend Reggie White passed away, I spoke to my father, and I asked him, you know, what do you, you know here's this man who was a, a Christian man, and, um, you know, struggling to understand the Word of God, and he was studying Hebrew so he could get to the you know the Hebrew sources of his faith, um, the Christian faith. And and what do you think of this man? Remember, my father was an Orthodox Jew, and an Orthodox rabbi. And I asked him what he thought of, of Reggie, and he said he quoted me that verse. He said, "It's not for us to judge this man. You know, Yehovah will will judge each and every one of us based on his own uh, considerations and wisdom and faith. Uh, you know, our uh, his wisdom and our faith and and." Um, and with mercy, and what we all we can say from Scripture is what He says there. Yehovah is close to all who call Him, to all who call Him in truth, and um, and that's why I think it's important to empower people in for, with information, mm. so they can call upon the one true God in truth. And how they do that, and how they go about doing that, I really believe that's between them and their Creator, and um, and it's not not for me to judge them. And uh, I also want to refer, refer people to uh, something I wrote. It's on a prayertoourfather.com. It's called The Ass Speaks Out. The Ass Speaks Out. And there I go into a little bit more detail about uh, why I'm uh, interacting with Christians at all. Uh, prayertoourfather.com. And also there's another follow-up to that called The Aramaic Letter Exposed. So have, check that out. The Ass Speaks Out and The Aramaic Letter Exposed, both at a prayertoourfather.com. Jono? So, yes, yes, Keith. Uh, it's not green cheese, it's blue cheese, and they never went to the moon. It was all in the studio. What are you talking about? It was a studio, and <laughs> people who believe that. So thank you to John. Look, I really do. I appreciate uh, listen, listeners who listen uh, in, intently like that and, and critique what we do. And, if, you know, we would benefit from even more listeners like that. So I really do appreciate that, John. Now, today we are in Vailech, Deuteronomy 31 verse 1 to 31 verse 30, and it begins like this. You ready? Yes, sir. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. Today. There he goes. His birthday. (laughs) It's Moses' birthday, whenever this was. Uh, I can no longer go out and come in. What? Have you? I don't think it literally means that. that. What do you mean? It's what he says. He says I'm 120 years old today. Right. That doesn't mean that. That um, I have become 121 years old today. It's like uh, me saying I'm 39 years old today, but I've been 39 years old for like 10 months. I mean, can we give him Moses' his Moses's, birthday party? It's Moses' birthday. Leave the poor man alone. Oh He's not the happiest. Okay, Jonah. I can no longer go in, go out and come in. Uh, also, Yehovah has said to me, you shall not cross over the Jordan. <laughs> Let's not go there again. Yehovah... No. Your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess 
them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as Yehovah said, and Yehovah will do to them as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites. And so their land. Stop there? Can we stop in verse 3? Because there's something really exciting to me in verse 3. Go on. So we got this really, what seems like, you know, a kind of a strange thing. It says, Yehovah, your God, he is the one who will pass before you. That's a literal translation. Mm-hmm. And then in the, later in the verse, it says, Joshua, he is the one who will pass before you, as Jehovah has spoken. So, hmm. so who's, the one, who's the one who's going to pass before them and defeat the nations? Is it Jehovah or Joshua? And, and an untrained reader might look at this and say, wow, it says, Jehovah, your God, is the one who will pass before you. Yehoshua hmm. is the one who will pass before you. They might say, hey, Yehoshua is Jehovah. They might come to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly they, they would be confused even if they didn't because who, who is – I mean, who's, why is it saying it this way that Yehovah is the one who's going to pass before you and Joshua is the one who's going to pass before you? And the answer is, some, is a concept in Hebrew that maybe we've spoken about in the show before. Maybe we haven't. I'm not sure. But it's something called dual causality, and that's a concept that the actions of the uh, – when there's a messenger, the actions of the sender and the actions of the messenger are often described in, in, in the same way, and mm-hmm. even to the point where – um, the actions of the messenger are sometimes described as if the sender is doing it himself. And in this case, mm-hmm. Yehovah is the sender, and Yehoshua, Joshua, is the messenger. And so Yehovah is going to pass before you, and Joshua is, is the one who's going to actually pass before you. Yehovah may be there as well, but the one who is going to um, be the physical uh, agent on earth of carrying out Yehovah's a- actions and will is going to be Joshua. And I want to bring a, the classic example of dual causality. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really from the book of Judges. But before that, I want to read Isaiah 45, 21. And uh, uh, it says, Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient times? Who has told it from that time? Have not I, Jehovah? And there is no God else besides me, a just God and a Savior. There is none Amen. besides me. So if you read this verse, it says very clearly, there's no other God and there's no other Savior. Jehovah is the only Savior. Now, why do I bring that up? Because if you go to uh, Judges, and I'm going to ask you to turn to Judges 2, Jono. I'm going to read it from mm-hmm. the Hebrew and then ask you to read it from the English. Judges tap, chapter 2, verses 16 to 18, is an example of dual causality, where the same action is attributed both to the sender and the messenger, and specifically the action of salvation, of being a savior. So it says in verse 16, And Yehovah uh, set up or established judges, and they saved them, they saved Israel from the hands of their uh, oppressors. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they, who's the they? They is the judges. The judges saved oh. Israel. And then in verse 18 it says, For Yehovah set, uh, set up for them judges, and it came to pass that Yehovah was in the judge, and he saved them from the hands of their enemies all mm-hmm. the days of the judge. So who is the he in verse 18? That would be Yehovah. Yehovah is the Savior. And, and sure. this is something you, you know, it's not just this passage. Throughout Judges you'll see you know, and um, you'll see Samson saving Israel, and, and, and one of the great examples is Judges 6, where Gideon speaks about um, Yehovah saving Israel by his hand, by the hand of, of Gideon. Mm-hmm. Being, he's saying, you will save Israel by my hand. And what we're seeing here is that both Gideon is the Savior and Yehovah is the Savior, and that's not a contradiction. That's simply the concept of dual causality. Gideon is the agent. He is the Joshua, in that case, the Yehoshua, mm-hmm. the one who is sent to, to do the salvation, and Yehovah does it through him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I was um, in, in, Deuteron- in Deuteronomy, just to kind of follow up on that, this whole issue of Deuteronomy uh, in, the, in 31 talking about Sihon, the king, 
or Sihon, the mm-hmm. king, depending on how you mm-hmm. want to say it. If you go to if you go to Deuteronomy chapter two, uh, twenty six, it, it's really interesting because it, what we know is Yehovah says, "Okay, I'm going to deliver this king into your hands." And then this interesting thing happens. Uh, Moses says in Deuteronomy two twenty six, we talked about this. So I sent messengers from the wilderness to this king with words of peace, saying, "Let me pass through your land. I will mm-hmm. travel only on the highway. I will not turn aside to the right or the left." Here's the offer. You know, the offer is okay. I want to pass through. But then what I love is this. It says, it says, um, uh, it says here, ah, verse uh, 230. Uh, but the king of Heshbon, Sihon, king of Heshbon, was not willing for us to pass through his land. For Yehovah your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate in order to deliver him into your hand, as he is today. But then what it says is, at verse 2032 of Deuteronomy, 232, it says, Then Sihon, with all of his people, came out to meet us in battle. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because we have this issue of dual causality. You've got Joshua and you've got Yehovah. Who's going to do what? We know who the, who's behind this whole thing. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't um, remove the, uh, remove the uh, responsibility for the people to go out and do the work. Mm-hmm. It's, like a really, it's like a really amazing thing because we, we, we do believe that he is the one that would lead us into this, that led them into this battle. But yet they still had to take up arms. They still had to go into the battle Amen. formation. They still had to confront the situation. Mm-hmm. They had to deal with their fears. They had to deal with their concerns. They had danger. There was even danger. Are you kidding me? So, I mean, here they are. They're going there. He's saying, I'm going to deliver them in your hands, but you're going to do the work. That, mm-hmm. that's, a pretty, that's a pretty amazing uh, a, a amazing issue. I mean, at times they must have been thinking, so what if I just sit in my tent? Does that mean he delivered them into our hands? Or sitting mm-hmm. in my tent doesn't deliver them into our hands. Rather, he's using us to go forward with his blessing and his hand mm. upon us as we do what we do. So anyway. And, and in some sense, it's sort of a partnership in that Yehovah exactly. has uh, given this mission to people to carry exactly. out. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're his agents, but then they've got to actually carry it out. And sometimes it's not so pleasant. Sometimes things don't go as well as they would like. Exactly. And I love the example in the book of, Zechari- uh, the book of uh, Chronicles where we have a prophet named, um, and he's actually the high priest as well, He's named Zechariah ben uh, Yehoyada, if I'm not mistaken, and um, and he's he's Zechariah the son of Joyada, and that is in hold on, that is in um, I don't pretend I knew it by heart. Two uh, Chronicles, verse twenty four, two Chronicles two twenty four, and it talks about this high priest who's standing in the temple, and then it says something really radical in verse twenty of two Chronicles twenty four. It says. Elohim et ben kohen. And the spirit actually can you read me in your translation, Jono? Two Chronicles twenty four twenty. And I'll tell you what it really says. I'll tell you what it yeah. really says in Hebrew. Yeah. The the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah. Came upon Zechariah, it says. In That's the Hebrew, it says Elohim And the Spirit of God put on. And the word Lavsha means to put on a garment. He put on a Zachariah suit. <laughs> the spirit of Yehovah hey, came on and put on a Zachariah suit. He put on the garment. He loved Shah at Zechariah ben Yehoyada HaKohen. He put on, he he donned, is the you know, old English word. He donned Zechariah, the son of Yehoyada the Kohen, and he stood over the people. And what goes on later in the story, as we read on, is the people kill Zechariah. Now think about this. <laughs> to be his agent, to be his messenger, to speak his word, and the spirit of Yehovah has even could up, come, on, come down and put on the Zachariah suit, and then the people come, and they stone Zachariah, and they kill him. 
Now, if I was Zechariah and I didn't know the Bible well, I would say, I've got the spirit of Jehovah inside me. He's put me on like a, like a suit of armor. I'm invincible. But that doesn't work out that way for Zechariah. He ends up getting killed. And, and I think that, that's, that's you know, a, a, an important concept, that just, just because Jehovah is with us, and just because he's going to make our way succeed, or, or we're going to be able to speak his word, or he's going to anoint us with his word, that doesn't mean that we're going to get everything that we want, and it's always mm. going to go our way. Um, you know, he gives humans our uh, freedom of choice, mm-hmm. and sometimes people make bad choices, and that affects those who are Jehovah's messengers. That can, uh, you know, affect all of us. Mm-hmm. There he is. Can I get an wow. Amen, Johnson? Amen. Amen. I and, think you need uh, more coffee. <laughs> 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 Yehobah, verse 5, Yehovah will give them over to you that you may do with them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear or be afraid of them. For Yehovah, your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him, In the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage. You must go with the people to the land which Jehovah has sworn to their fathers to give them. You shall cause them to in, uh, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And Jehovah, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So okay. we've we got, we got to talk about this phrase, be strong and of good courage. It appears twice in verse 6 and verse 7, and actually appears yeah. later on in, in the Torah portion uh, towards the end as well. Third time, that's three witnesses. What does it mean, uh, be strong and of good courage? What does that mean? Be strong and courageous about what? Well, don't be uh, fearful of the job that you're about to, you're about to do. You're about to go and dispossess. Uh, the, there, there the nations is. are about to be are about to be dispossessed. There it They're is. About to so go and so, serve an eviction notice. So, so he says it three times, and you're saying that each of the three times he's saying, "Be strong and courage. Don't be afraid of the enemy." And you're not wrong. But can we jump over to Joshua chapter one, verses six to nine? And I know you did a program about uh, Joshua with uh, Yoel. Yoel, uh, yeah. Yeah, Torah Pearl. What was that called? <laughs> Light, Light of the Prophets. <laughs> the Torah Pearl is the one that you and I do. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's sometimes and I, sometimes I do it. I, sometimes I'm in that too. Light, right. Light oh, of the Prophets. Wait, you've been in Light of the Prophets, Keith? What? what? No, sometimes when do I get I'm to be in Light of the Prophets? Sometimes you're a Torah Pearl. Okay. No, I, I need to do a cameo on Light of the Prophets. What is this? Um, so anyway, Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. <laughs> He says in verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you will uh, cause this people to inherit the land which I have sworn to their fathers to give them. So what you said there is exactly correct. Being strong and courageous is about causing people to inherit the land through the physical uh, war that they're going to engage in through this battle. But then in verse 7 it says, Only be very strong and courageous. Say very. Be very strong and courageous to keep and do to diligently do all the Torah which Moses, my servant, has commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left in order that you will succeed in all that you do and all that you go. And so here, be strong and courageous in verse 7 of Joshua 1 is not about the military things you've got to do. That's in verse 6, and that's true. You need to be strong and courageous about that. But also be strong and courageous about keeping the Torah, about being diligent about keeping the Torah. That's something we need to be strong and courageous about. And sometimes there are people out there who want to intimidate you, who want to uh, draw you away from keeping the Torah. But be strong and courageous. Don't, you know, be as strong and courageous to keeping the Torah as you are when you face your enemy on the day of, of battle. That's Amen. a powerful you know, statement. Jono, I want to ask you a question. Isn't that beautiful? That is beautiful. Thank you for that. That's Pearl. Keith. Jono, explain something to me. How many children do you have? I've got three. And are they boys, girls, or both? One girl, two boys. 
one girl, two boys. And so is it, isn't it amazing, you know, when you have children, and, and I happen to have three sons, and, and one of the things that's uh, is amazing is when you transfer something from the words of old that get transferred down through generations. And this mm-hmm. particular phrase is one of them that I've attempted to try to share with my sons. And I'll tell you why I do this biblically. So in Joshua, we hear about this being strong and courageous, but then we find it later when David says it to his son. So now that's not... They're not now. It's not a matter of going into the land. It's got something else to do. It's First uh, Chronicles twenty-eight twenty. David said unto his son Solomon, the very same words, the exact same words: Be strong and courageous, and act. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for Jehovah your God, my God, is with you. He will mm-hmm. not fail you nor forsake you until all the work of the service of the house of Jehovah is finished. Meaning that here you have a work that you're doing called for by Him, and He's saying this is His work. You're doing it. It's a vision that God has given, but you've got to be strong and courageous. Mm-hmm. The reason that I'm bringing this up is that I've seen this with my sons. I unfortunately did not have a father who gave me these words. The only way that I ever got these words was through a journey of understanding God as Father, through the Word of God. But now as a father, I say, how can I transfer this information now to my sons and mm-hmm. then watch them do the same thing? So I'm sure for you that that's the case. It was where you've got your children and you're looking mm-hmm. at them. As David looked at Solomon and he says, okay, so what words can I give him? Uh, I'm going to reach back to what Moses told Joshua, what Yehovah told Joshua, what we've told the people of Israel, and now I'm going to tell this to my son. These words, be strong and courageous, and being strong and courageous is not only going to be for everything that you don't think you can't do or the things that you, you know, overwhelming aspects, but just in your heart and in your mind. What does it mean for us to live a life of being strong and being courageous. And mm. I think I love I love that. Again, in Second Chronicles 32, 7, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because the king of Assyria who's coming against you and the great horde that's against you. And I think there's probably folks listening who have probably uh, facing that right now, whether it's the economy, mm-hmm. you know, job situations, home situations, family situations. You know what? We can all take this word to be strong and courageous in our situation and, and, and really hope and believe that that will be exactly what we Amen. So, Amen. And, you know, for, for, for me, when I hear this phrase, be strong and courageous, what it means to me is don't give up and don't lose hope. Persevere. And, and for me, it's about tenacity. You know, go, going, going to synagogue on you know, Sabbath morning or to church Sunday morning, I don't know, know much about going to church Sunday morning, but going to syn- synagogue Saturday morning and you make your prayers and, and then you go home and, and you know, I've done my religion for the week and now, now I can go and, and uh, lie and cheat and steal and do whatever I want. Well, that that's not being strong and courageous. That's you know, that, that's taking a pot shot at God. And um, to me, it's about tenacity. And, and I love this story. This is a, I'm going to share a quick story, which is a little bit off topic, but Please. it's a story uh, about the Battle of San Simon, which was one of the definitive battles in Israel's War of Independence. And and there was this uh, actually a monastery, the monastery of Saint Simon, at the top of a hill in a place called Katamon, and it was the linchpin of Jerusalem. If the Jews couldn't hold this monastery, then Jerusalem would collapse and, and the whole city would be overrun by Arabs. This is in 1948. Mm-hmm. And so the Jews, they capture the monastery, but they're, they're not able to hold on to it. In fact, there's this little alley outside of the monastery, which they keep trying to capture, and it's called the, valley, uh, excuse me, it's called the, the Alley of Death. Because the Arabs are sitting at the end of the val- uh, end of this alley with uh, this narrow little alley with with this machine gun, and everybody walks in there dies. And finally, the Jews say, well, we, "We've got a, we've got a, you know." Uh, and I say the Jews because it was before there was a state of Israel. This mm-hmm. was during the War of Independence, and so the Jews who are in the monastery they they say, "Well, we're lost. We're you know we've lost the battle. We're surrounded. We've got to retreat." And so they prepare to retreat at night. But one of the problems is that, that half the people have been wounded and they can't take them with them. 
and and they've seen in previous battles when Jews surrendered, they were tortured and, and mutilated. And so they decide we're not going to let that happen. We're not going to fall into the hands of our enemies. And so they set up two guys. Uh, they rig the whole place with explosives, and with, and they give two guys these uh, these dead man triggers so that you know the Arabs will come in and shoot them, and and the whole place will blow up. And then the rest of the people who can can walk, they're gonna they're gonna flee in the middle of the night. And they set everything up, and they're about to flee from this uh, from the San Simon Monastery in Katamon in Jerusalem. And they look outside. They're about to flee, and all the Arabs are gone. Wow. And they the principle they derive from this is. Whoever holds on one second longer wins, mm-hmm. and uh, and this is what it means to be strong and courageous. Don't give up. The enemy is trying to get you to give up. He's trying to get you to to let go of that dead man's trigger. But don't give up. Hold on. You know, just persevere. Be strong and courageous with keeping the Torah and really in everything that you do. Yehovah is Amen. with you, and you will succeed in the end. You might get stoned Amen. like Zechariah, but you will have you will have success. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can, you know, maybe this is a spanner in the works of what you've just presented, which is just, just just now. Brilliant. Can you translate that into American English? A spanner in the works? Is that like a monkey wrench in the in the? It must be. It must be. And I mean, if, if, but how does how does what you've just described mm-hmm. uh, translate to something like Masada, for example? So Masada, they didn't give up. They did not give up. They held on to the very end, and they refused to. Why did they? Why did they all kill themselves at Masada? Because they, and this is the part of the story that's not often told. So, mm. what, and and if you were to go on my tour, Jono, uh, in Israel, then you would hear this story. But I'm not sure you're going to hear it on Keith's tour. Um, <laughs> what are you talking to you about? We're going to Masada. We're, I steal all of your material. That's where I got material. <laughs> so what? What really happened at Masada is when uh, the Jewish revolt started. The, uh, there was a, a Roman garrison on top of Masada, you know, mm-hmm. a couple dozen soldiers. And the Jews, a thousand Jews surrounded it, and they said to them, if you surrender, we'll let you go. And, um, and the Romans surrendered, and the Jews butchered them, which was wrong of them to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, what happened then, uh, eight years later, is the Romans won the war, and the last bastion to hold out was Masada. And uh, the Jews at top, the top of Masada, they weren't the ones who had butchered the Romans eight years earlier, but they knew if they surrendered, they would be blamed for it. And what would happen is their women would be raped, they, men would be sold into slavery or crucified, mm-hmm. um, maybe both. <laughs> and, um, and so if they surrendered, they were going to essentially be murdered. And so they did actually the same thing as the Battle of San Simon. They waited to the last second till the Romans came in. Then they mm-hmm. they refused to be taken alive. And I'm not saying one should never be taken alive in battle. You know that 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 depends on the circumstances. But uh, I know my people, the Jewish people, have often faced enemies that you you don't want to be taken alive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I know when we fought the Syrians that the Syrians uh, didn't take prisoners. Um, they usually, if they got prisoners, they either murdered them immediately or they tortured them to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and the point is, the Battle of Masada is 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 exactly the symbol that don't give up, uh, hold on to the last second. And I don't think what they did is giving up. I think what they did is they they denied their enemy the enemy the victory that the enemy wanted. The enemy mm-hmm. wanted to be able to take the women into the streets of Rome and in public processions rape them in front of the Roman population. That that's what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And the and the people at the top of Masada said we're not going to let that happen. We're not going to give them the victory that they want. We're going to mm-hmm. we're not going to surrender, but we're going to hold on to the last second. And for me, the uh, the symbol of Masada is really about being strong and courageous. Don't give up. Things may not turn out the way that you want, but that doesn't mean give up. 
Mm. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Thank you for that explanation. Verse 9, so Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of Jehovah, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, every seven years, Keith, at the appointed time, no less, in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before Jehovah your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their, in their hearing. Wow. And it says, it says, gather together wait, all wait. the... So, wait, we've got to stop there. Let, let, let's stop there and talk about verse 9, the verses 12 to 13 of mm. a separate discussion. So this, I think, is one of the most important verses in the Bible. <laughs> Keith, there's another one? Added to no, you. no, no, it is. It is. <laughs> that's number, no, listen, everybody. I've got a piece of paper here. That's number what? The whole 17. thing is important. <laughs> no, no, that's number 17 where he says... <laughs> most I've got it written down a piece of paper. And for I said one of, say one of, <laughs> one of the most important... <laughs> And Moshe wrote this Torah. He didn't write some other Torah. He wrote this Torah, the one you're Amen. reading right now. And he gave it to the Kohanim, the sons of Levi, who mm -hmm. bear the Ark of the Covenant of Jehovah, and to all the elders of Israel. And then this is repeated later in the, in the Torah portion, which so we, we'll, we'll kill two birds with one stone. Um, and that is... Verse 24, and it came to pass when Moses finished writing the words of this Torah upon a book. He didn't just write them on the wall or in the sand. He wrote them on a book. Mm -hmm. Ad tumam, until their completion is what it says in Hebrew. And Moses commanded the Levites who bear the Ark of the Covenant of Jehovah, saying, Take the, this book of the Torah and place it on the side of the Ark of the Covenant of Jehovah your God, and it shall be there for you as a testimony, mm -hmm. as a witness. So this is this this is a key passage here, uh, Deuteronomy thirty-one, and uh, verses. What verse did we just read? That was twenty-four and twenty-five, and then earlier it was whatever that verse was, uh, ver verse nine, because this is actually talking about that Moses is the one who wrote the Torah, and that's key. Um, you know, it's key because th this is this is what it said, and I don't know if we talked about this when we did. We probably did. But it was so long ago. Who remembers? But in, there's this really important passage, one of the most important passages in the Bible, in fact. And it, it <laughs> no, but seriously, 18. it's, it's <laughs> no, it's it's Exodus 19, uh, Exodus 19, verse 9. And Jehovah spoke to Moses, saying, "Behold, I come before you in the thick of the cloud, in order that the people will hear when I speak with you." That's, that's profound, because what that's saying is the reason that God revealed himself to Mount Sinai to three million people is so that they would actually hear that he was speaking to Moses. He wasn't really speaking to every one of those people. He was, but he was primarily speaking to Moses and wanted them to know, wanted them to hear that he was speaking to Moses. And it says, in order that the people will hear that I'm speaking with you and that they will believe in you forever. Now, I bet you in your English translation it doesn't say that. It you know, probably says something. We yeah. did talk about that. We did talk I'm sure about we because, did. Because in, in, at least in mine, in the uh, New King James, it says, and believe you forever. Believe the you forever. And what it says is believe in you forever. Becha, yeah. in you forever. And, uh, and why is, so how does this tie into Deuteronomy 31? Because Yehovah revealed himself to three million Israelites, 600,000 men and all the women and children, in order at Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, in order that they would hear that he was speaking to Moses and believe in Moses. And the significance of believing in Moses is to know that 
the rest of the revelation that they wouldn't hear for themselves. They would only mm-hmm. hear through Moses that that was a true revelation. Mm-hmm. And Moses wrote down that revelation upon the book. That's what we're hearing in, in, uh, in Deuteronomy 31. And then uh, that's reiterated in um, in Joshua chapter 8 and what, in what uh, in the verse that I argue is one of the most important verses of the Bible, but in all seriousness. 19. <laughs> no, it really is. <laughs> no, it really is. Joshua eight, because there it's reiterated that Moses is the one who wrote this Torah. Joshua eight thirty four. It says, and afterwards, he Joshua read all the words of the Torah, the blessing and the curse, according to all that was uh, according to all that was written in the book of the Torah. Mm-hmm. There was not one word. Say one word. Not from all that Moses commanded, there was not one, there was not a word from all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the congregation of Israel mm-hmm. and the women and the children and the uh, sojourners who uh, walk among them. And so here it's saying every single word that Moses commanded was written that God commanded through Moses was written in the Torah. And that was read by Joshua. Mm-hmm. Now that's, to me, extremely significant because this is what it comes down to. If Moses didn't write the Torah, if the Torah was made up 400 or 800 years later by a bunch of men in uh, you know, different scribal groups who were fighting with each other, mm-hmm. then this is all a lie. Mm-hmm. It's a lie. If Moses didn't write the Torah, because that's why God revealed himself at Mount Sinai, in order that we would believe the rest of the revelation to Moses. And um, why why do I say this? Because what I was taught at the Hebrew University by the great professors and scholars is that the Torah wasn't written by Moses. And I talk about this in my book, Shattering the Conspiracy of Silence. Uh, There's a chapter where I briefly talk about this. But I was taught that, you know, we know better now. We know it was written by Ezra and by by the priestly group and by all these different groups and and if that's true then the whole thing's a lie and i don't believe that it's a lie i believe that the creator of the universe has spoken to an entire nation that he took and he did that so they would know that the rest of the torah was um was was revealed to moses Mm -hmm. and um you know and i I believe that that the testimony of history bears this out I, i believe the history of my people of israel shows that that there is this relationship between the God of Israel and the people of Israel, and that is meant to be a light unto the nations. The nations are meant to look at that and say there is a God who mm-hmm. chose Israel, who took them out of Egypt, who revealed himself before the entire nation, and who then spoke to his servant Moses this this word. So mm. so that's that's why I say this is one of the most important passages in the Bible. Um, it's not the most important. I'll 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 I'll, uh, I'll stipulate that the most important passage is Deuteronomy six, where it says Shema Yisrael Yehovah Eloheinu Yehovah Chad Hero Israel Yehovah is our, uh, our God Yehovah is one. But this is definitely in the top eighteen verses. Can we give <laughs> them the un- can we give them the unedited version of uh, what I said about Deuteronomy six? No, 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 no. John, John will hey, not no, like that. No, 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 no. no. So, move on. Uh, Jono, I'd like to take a spin the card. No, you're going to get me in like, trouble with John. <laughs> I sp- I'd like to spin the card here, Jono. No, no, in this, uh, in this uh, verse that Nehemiah talks about being so important, and this is something that really radically changed my entire uh, life regarding uh, the Torah, um, this verse that we're talking about here, mm-hmm. where it says, then Moses commanded the, uh, on, um, it says here, then Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, in the year for mm-hmm. canceling debts, uh, during the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, of course, and I think, Jono, in your version, and I'm sure some of the folks that are listening, it might say something like the Feast of Booths. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if it says that or not. I think ten times that shows up. 
where in the English Bible, in, in the ASB, a feast of booths is actually used, which is the hog. It's actually, you know, one of the pilgrimage feasts where they actually go to the land of Israel. And what I love about this and why it so radically changed my entire view of the Torah is that up until that time, having been, you know, Nehemiah says, when I was at the Hebrew University, and I was at the Hebrew University, you know. <laughs> so I also went to the university. Well, I got my master's degree. degree. <laughs> I got my master's degree. Okay. <laughs> so when I was, so, <laughs> so Jono, they make fun, you know, people make fun of uh, the seminary, they call it the cemetery. But let me say something. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in seminary, I was there for three years, and, and it was the it was by far the most uh, amazing experience I could have had, because for me, Jono, and Nehemiah, I didn't come from the church. I grew up on the streets of South Minneapolis. I did not go to church as a, a little boy. Um, all I knew about church is that once a year, my mom got us new clothes, new hats, and new shirts, new shirts, and new shoes, and it was called Easter. That's all I knew about church. Something about Easter bunny rabbits, and and that was the time that you got new clothes. So other than that, there was no experience with church for me. So when I finally got, you know, ten years ago, when we really started this process of digging into the Torah. I have to say it was a bit overwhelming for me because Nehemiah Gordon from the Hebrew University had me doing Ugaritic and Gies and all of these different languages and all of these notes and letters. And I'm thinking, I can never learn this. I could never understand this. Well, then when I got to this verse, it changed everything. And I want folks to slow down with me on this because imagine this. When I read this verse, come to find out that Yehovah tells Moses, Moses tells the people, once every seven years at the Feast of Booths, you come and they will read this Torah for you. I'm thinking, wait a minute, don't they have a computer program like Nehemiah in their tents where they can go for every little phrase and every little line? Don't they have a book in the bathroom like many Christians do? You know, they put the Bible in their bathroom, Jonah, where you, you can mm. sit and read the Bible. Don't they have it on their, their – their, don't they go every week and have you – know, come to find out that for these folks, these ancient Israelites, they didn't have a Torah scroll in their house. They didn't have a computer program. They didn't have a Bible there. So for them, Moses says, once every seven years – Come and listen to this Torah. This changed everything for me. Because I'm thinking, so if I'm an ancient Israelite and I hear the Torah once every seven years, what am I going to walk away with? What am I going to walk away with and remember? And you know what's amazing about the Torah, folks, is that if you read through the Torah and imagine it being listened to and you hear it, there's a wonderful message that comes out. And you know what? You might not catch every verb phrase. You might not catch every Masoretic issue. You may not catch all of this, which is very important. Let me say it. It's very important because it helps mm. us while we're in exile in. to understand the Torah. We are not like the ancient Israelites that can go once every seven years and hear it and live it, and we're in the land of Israel. So it's important that we t- do what we're doing now. But imagine originally, Jonah, what it was like. You and your kids in Chani. Once every seven years, you walk across the, you know, the Australian uh, whatever you call that, the back outback. outback. That yep. <laughs> and you go there on Sukkot, the Feast mm-hmm. of Booths, and you're sitting there with your daughter and your two sons and your wife, and someone is standing up reading the Torah, and you walk away saying, that's the word of God. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that is what the understanding was and back then. That's what, You'd hear it once every seven years, and you'd live it. You'd live the Torah. You'd apply it. Now, for us, I want to say, and I'm taking a long time here, for me... I never understood that the Torah was something that you had to live or that you would live. Mm. It wasn't something that you applied. You just used it every once in a while. Come to find out this is the living word of God and that it was intended that we would hear it, understand it, and live it. Is that not amazing? Mm. That's mm. just amazing oh. to me. So anyway, okay, yeah. now we'll move on. That was my preaching sermon. No, I, I appreciate that, Keith. And, and actually, that kind of reminds me of something else. Uh, and it does it does have to do with verse 12. And Nehemiah, actually, you read... Uh, in in Joshua eight 
35, uh, that it says uh, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before, mm-hmm. all the assembly of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among yeah. them. And, of course, in verse 12, it says, gather the people together, men and women and little ones and the stranger who is within your gates. Obviously, the oh, stranger yes. who is within your gates is the stranger mm-hmm. who's living among them. Now, when I was uh, going, <laughs> Keith, when I, when I was <laughs> at Bible college, and uh, and I had woken up to the fact that that uh, the Torah is the, the the living, breathing word of God, and that it's not a a, a history book that's become irrelevant. Yeah. It's actually full of instruction that we should be obeying. And I'm coming to terms with all of this. And I wanted to uh, I wanted to be true to my faith. And Keith, mm. uh, it, it turned out in my zeal that I ended up as one of those guys on on the street corner scaring the hell out of people, literally oh. scaring the hell out of people. You know. You know, I was I was that guy for a while, believe it or not. And really? uh, but here, here it, we have gathered the people together, the men and the women, the little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, so that they may hear and learn to fear Yehovah your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. And so, Nehemiah, I mean, let me just ask you: I mean, is there in the Jewish tradition is there even a commandment in the Torah to go out? And tell the nations to obey Yehovah. Um, I wouldn't say there's a commandment to go out and tell the nations, but we are taught to be a light unto the nations. Amen. Oh, man. You know, uh, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter, I believe it's 12 or maybe 15, where it says, um, God's, I think it's 12, where God makes his original covenant to, uh, to Abraham, and he mm-hmm. says, um, here, let's read it, since uh, rather than quoting these things out of context and... Uh, he says in verse 3 of Genesis 12, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And then he says, and all, and in you will be blessed all the nations of the earth. Amen. And that word blessed is, is a really interesting word. My, my friend Ira, who is, uh, I believe does a program with you, Jonah, doesn't he? He's got uh, treasures, from does treasures from the Tanakh. Treasures from the Tanakh. Although I, th- I told him you should call it the Fetching Jew. Because um, <laughs> he's reading about Job and it kind of applies to him too. But, uh, um, That'll be my show. Uh, and in you will be blessed all the nations of the earth. So he pointed out to me something which, when I first heard this, I said, that's utter nonsense, that can't be true. And I went and checked it, and it is true, that the word blessed can also mean grafted. And you could mm-hmm. legitimately translate this. And this is how some of the rabbis in the Talmud interpret this as, and in you will be grafted all the families of the earth. Mm-hmm. So how are the nations blessed in Abraham in that he... Uh, he spreads this message to them. He he makes them aware of the message, and they get grafted into him. Mm-hmm. Now, um, now what's interesting is that this is the phrase, and, and they will be grafted into you. It doesn't say you will graft them into 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 you. It's not something that Abraham is commanded to force them to do, or or induce them to do, or push or pressure them to do, or give them free food when they're starving so that they get grafted into him. What uh, what his job is to do is to walk out the Torah. And walk mm-hmm. with the creator of the universe, and by being a, a, a good example, the nations will look and say, there is a God in Israel. There, there is a true God. Uh, this, this is, you, you know, we'll, and really, uh, there was a rabbi 2,000 years ago who put this best when he said, you'll know him by his fruits. 
And that really is, is what, um, what I believe God is saying here to Abraham, and that actually ties into the whole image of the tree. Mm. Um, they'll see the fruit, and they'll say, we want to be grafted into that tree. And so our obligation, as for, for me, my, I see my obligation, is to empower people with information and, mm. um, and, you know, and, and show them through my actions uh, you know, what it means to live according to the Torah. And look, Maybe. I'll be the first one to admit that I often fall short. And uh, I'm sometimes, you know, serve just like my Israelite ancestors as a bad example rather than as a good example. You know, if we look at King David, often he served as a good example, but more often than not, he served as a bad example of what not to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and but it's not my job to try to convert anybody or change anybody. Only the creator of the universe can change people and Amen. convert people. I can't cause any a single human being to have a conversion. Only the father of creation can do that. Amen. And um, what I can do is, you know, empower them with information. They can do with that information whatever they choose to do. Um, you know, and okay. and I really see it as Ezekiel 34, I believe it is, the passage where he talks about the watchman. You know, the watchman's job is to stand at the top of the the tower and on the wall and blow the shofar so the people mm -hmm. will hear. Um, after they hear, they can say, I'm going to ignore him. I don't care what he says. Or they could say, I'm going to heed the warning. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the idea of we've got to go and force people to convert and, or, uh, you know, I, I, I got, I, I converted 50 people. I'm going to get a throne room in heaven. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's not a biblical, that's not a Tanakh idea, I should say. Sure. Sure. And, and, and I'll add to that, actually. I, I really appreciate your answer there. And, and out of that zeal, out of that period of my life, Keith, Really is where truth to you came from. That's kind of where where it began because I needed, uh, I, I had a desire to share as I was learning, which we all know can be a very dangerous stage of it's life. It's a dangerous stage of life. <laughs> it really, really is. But uh, but out of the uh, Yehovah directed me to, in, into radio, and this is what what I like to think that we're doing is that we're uh, offering information, freely offering information for for those yes. who don't know. All the Torah pearls are available free to download at truthtoyou.org. And, uh, and it, it really does uh, encourage me that uh, so many people write in saying that it is a life-changing experience and that they're gaining so much from these uh, programs. So thank you so much to the listeners. Keith? I, wanna, I just want to say we, we, we have this other little phrase here that's, uh, that I have to just bring up right now. And I, I'll tell everybody ahead of time uh, that this is a commercial. Uh, and the reason I'm, this is a commercial is that I have been waiting to make this announcement. And so now I know that when this show uh, airs, you will be able to get some information regarding this issue of him saying, at the end of every seven years, at the end of every seven years, at the year of canceling debts, during the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, uh, if they were uh, living in Dan, which we're going to visit when we go to Israel, we're going to mm -hmm. go all the way north to Dan. Awesome. And then they says they're going to go to the place that I choose, which happens to be to the south of Dan in Jerusalem. And they say, okay, wh wh now I'm supposed to go to this feast. How would they know when to get to the feast? I mean, Moses is writing this, you know, in, this is in the Torah now. So, so if you're a Torah observant person and you're saying, okay, look, it's been year one, year two, year three, year four, year five, year six, year seven. This year when we go to the feast, because we go every year, I don't know if you know that or not, every single year they go. Mm. This year, it's going to be the seventh year, and we're going to hear. Now, if they were to go by some people's reckoning of time, they would miss the feast altogether. If they go by some people's reckoning of time, like Pope Gregory's reckoning of time, mm -hmm. they would miss the feast altogether. In other oh, words, if, they miss it. At, if they look at the calendar, oftentimes Gregory's calendar, the calendar that we live at right now, and they had that up mm -hmm. on their, their refrigerator, which they oh. didn't have, and they said, oh, okay, this year it's going to be the Feast of Tabernacles. It's going to be on this date. 
and they go by that calendar, it's very totally. possible they'd miss it. Can mm. I be really radical? Please. If they go with the rabbinic calendar, there would be some times when they'd miss it or portions of it. But if mm. they go by God's calendar, his clock that he said to Moses, this is the beginning of the month for you, this is the beginning of years for you, and this is how you'd know according to the sighting of the new moon and the aviv. And by the, by the way, by the time you hear this, Nehemiah and I will be by faith where we would have sighted the seventh month new moon and they would count. Here's Yom Teruah, and then they'd go to Yom Kippur, and then they would go to Booth Sukkot, Sukkot. Well, here's the point. There is a way for us to understand God's clock, and unfortunately, today, I know you know this, Jono, and Nehemi, I'm sure you know this also, there are many agendas out there on how to know what time it is. Mm -hmm. Here's the great news, ladies and gentlemen. As a result of a horrendous and amazing <laughs> uh, visit to Israel and beyond, I've been able to put together information that's going to help people understand what time it is. So all I want to say is this, Jono and Nehemiah, at the time that you hear this, you can go to Time Will Tell. Time Listen, Will Tell. Time Will Hang Tell. On. Nehemiah, no, he's on, been, no, 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 no. Nehemiah, he's been teasing us with no, this no, for I'm, how no, long? No, it's like Nehemiah for two years with his book. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> time Will Tell dot TV. Now listen, time will oh, tell. Oh, TV. TV. I just went to no, timewilltell.com and it and didn't no, come no, out. No, 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 you can't. Of course not. Time will tell. Because you're taping it in advance. Oh. You're telling people the secret. Hang on, you you're telling me there's a website for this? There's, it's timewilltell.tv. You will go to www.timewilltell.tv and we are on the road. We are pushing, we are doing stuff that is amazing. Yes. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's, by the time that you, you'll be able to go there, and there'll be some information there that will get you started. But the reason I want to bring this up is that it was an experience, uh, Jono, that literally changed my life again. Mm -hmm. Three T's. Time, Torah, Tetragrammaton. Tetragrammaton, the four letters. Torah, we're doing that right now. But time, I have to say, we saved the best for last because it really gives a chance for people to come together in a way that I think is really quite amazing around God's clock and his calendar. Amen. 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 I Amen. I am looking forward. You know I've been looking forward to this for so long, Keith, because you've You'll been... You'll be the first person to get it. I'm going to send it to you. You've been first. talking about it for ages, and I'm I, no, I'm no, continually on the edge of my seat with you guys. But, yeah. uh, you know, eventually, Nehemiah's book eventually came out, so I guess time will there tell will be there eventually. So time will tell if time will tell will come out. Hey, guys, I want to, I want to go back to something that you, that you both glossed over. Both of you, I don't know if you realize this, you said almost the exact same thing as if you were reading from a script, and I happen to know this show is not scripted. And so because you both said the same thing, I've got to, I've got to go back to this. I'm going to ask John to turn off the radio, to pause his, his podcast, because he's not going to like what I'm going to say. Oh, but nice. I, I want to I read what you just said. I wrote it down as you both said it. Uh, Jono said, the Torah is the living, breathing word of God. And Keith hmm. said, the Torah is the living. He didn't say breathing. Keith said, the Torah is the living word of God. Those are the exact words. You can go back hmm. and listen to yourself, people. I think it's really fascinating that you both said that. And the reason I think it's fascinating is, I think it's fascinating. You definitely won't find anywhere in Tanakh the statement that the Torah is, is the breathing word of God. Oh, okay. Uh, so, but, but, so but I, can I, 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 I talk about? It's the living word of, we, yeah. Could, do, do you want me to elaborate? Absolutely. Please. It, let, let, what, well, Keith, do, do, you want to, do you want to let us know what you mean no, when you I'm, say I'm, that? I've got my arms crossed right now. I want to know why okay. he's going to take a phrase, living word. I, no, I'm going I'm to tell you what I, what I mean by that. And, and uh, Because, Nehemi, you've got to understand where, where I came from, at least, in my tradition. Uh, honestly, it was all done away with. The, the Old Testament served for, you know, there's some good principles in there, and there's some history there, and, yeah, it's got some background to it, and you've got to know some stuff. But really, you know, all the... All the good stuff, all the meat is in the in the back of the book, right? And 
that's where I came from. And you don't have to mm-hmm. do any of that anymore. And if you do try and do that, that's bad, uh, and so on and so forth. But what I mean when I say that the, the, the Word of God, when the Tanakh is the, the living, breathing Word of God, I mean it's not dead. It still speaks to us today. And these are things that we are to live by and to act upon and to be obedient to so that we, we may be blessed. And to me, when I realized that, it was a massive, massive thing. It was my, my, my you know, it exploded. The light went on and, and, and all of a sudden it became the living, breathing book that you could interact with mm-hmm. and live. It was, uh, that, that's what I mean by it. My reason is okay. for evangelism. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, okay. <laughs> no, so, so I want to point out, first of all, the phrase, uh, were actually it says uh, read me Jeremiah twenty three thirty six in your translation, Jono, because I bet you Jer- it doesn't say that in English. It probably Jeremiah twenty three thirty six. Twenty three thirty six. It says thirty. Where is okay? And the oracle of Yehovah, you shall mention no more. For every man's word will be his oracle. For you have perverted the words of the living God, Yehovah of hosts, our God. So that phrase, the words of the living God, could also be translated, and I think it's a more accurate translation, as the living words of God. And what the prophecy is saying is you're no longer going to be speaking the prophecy because you've turned your own words into your prophecies, and you've therefore right. perverted the words of the living God, because, or the living words of God. Um, now there, it's plural words. Mm-hmm. But here we have this idea that the word of Jehovah is living, and if you pervert that word, you will no longer be the recipient of that word. Uh, you'll you'll be only the recipient of your own word, mm-hmm. and, um, and and I think that's an interesting idea. So I want to say something really controversial. Can I can Please. I be really controversial? And uh, and maybe I'm going to contradict everything we said at the beginning here. So I, I want to throw out this idea because um, yeah. Christians will often talk about the the living word of God, and what they're talking about, I believe, is a concept that appears in the Gospel of John, and specifically, Wait, no, am, I, am I allowed to read from the God? No. <laughs> I've been, Jono. I've officially been censored. No, no, we're censoring him right now, Jono. We're not letting him do this. I've, I've heard this. No, I'm not. I'm spending a card. Not letting him do it. No, I'm off. I'm off the show right now. John one fourteen. Wait, wait a second. John one. No, I'm going there now. I'm. I, my curiosity is okay. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory in the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, if you go read the writings of Philo of Alexandria, who was a Jew in the first century, who actually lived um, uh, over in Alexandria in the first century, anyway. And uh, he talks about this idea of the word, of the logos. Uh, it's a f- mm-hmm. quite famous. Uh, what he says about that, he had this idea. Basically, he had this idea that came from uh, Plato that the that the that God is actually this infinite being, and we as finite beings can't interact directly with him. So there has to be this intermediary, and the intermediary, according to Philo of Alexandria, was he, something he called the logos, the word. And why did he mm-hmm. say that? Because God speaks, and what we hear is not actually God. We hear his speech, his mm-hmm. logos. And um, but that that's philosophy. I'm going to leave philosophy to the philosophers. What John takes this talks about is this word, um, this logos has become flesh. And so I think a lot of times when Christians talk about the living word of God, they're not necessarily saying exactly what Jeremiah said, um, although maybe that's where they're getting it from. But uh, but they're talking about how the word became flesh. That you had this word, this Torah, and that Torah actually came down to the earth in the form of a man. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, I want to I want to rebuke those Christians because those Christians claim to believe in the word which the Gospel of John said became flesh. But if they really believed in that word that became flesh, wouldn't they want to live by that word? And here's something I can say as a Karaite Jew. This is the controversial part. This is the controversial. Maybe we should stop. Uh, let's go on. Well, well, you can't go on. You can't get to this point and then. I believe. I believe in that word which the Gospel of John said became flesh. And because I believe in that word, I dedicate my life to live according to that word. Now, listen carefully to what I said. I didn't say I believe that word became flesh. That's obviously the, you know, the Christian ideology and theology. I'm a Karaite Jew. I don't adhere to that. But I believe in that word. Hmm. I believe in that word, the Torah. You know, in, in Jewish uh, mystical sources, it talks about, and Ira could talk more about this with you. He's the mystic. But in Jewish mystical sources, it talks about how Yehovah looked into the Torah and he created the world. In other words, the Torah was his blueprint for creation. And actually, that's not such a radical idea. That actually comes from Proverbs chapter 8 that talks about wisdom, which ancient Jewish sources identify as the Torah, um, at least in abstract terms. Um, mm. So there was this pre-existent wisdom that was there before creation, and God used that wisdom to create the universe. And, you know, look at modern-day physics, and you'll see that that's very clearly the case, that the world is not a bunch of random uh, happenstance I, uh, you know, ideas, mm. but the world is... Um, is created according to some kind of order and wisdom. Mm -hmm. and, and that wisdom was then written down in the form of the Torah. Um, it was manifest, in a sense, in, in the parchment that Moses wrote down and gave mm -hmm. before the Levites that was kept next to the Ark of the Covenant. And I believe in that word. I believe in that wisdom, and I believe in that word. Now, whether it became flesh or not, that, that already goes into theology, and I try to stay out of theology. Sure. Obviously, no, no, in the no, Jewish... No, 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 don't in say the you're Jewish out of theology. Don't, don't, don't uh, say you're it's out not of that simple, no, is it, Keith? No, Come no, on, Keith. So oh, no, so obviously we Jews say, or I Jews say, that, you know, uh, the Torah, uh, you know, we, we don't... We don't you know, we don't accept that idea that it became flesh as, you know, a living human being, but we believe in that same word, which the Gospel of John. And I, I would venture to say all Jews believe in the word which the Gospel of John said became flesh. Sure. Is that controversial? Okay, so, you know, since we're, we're That's why we want to live by that word. So they say... Short, we're having the short little Torah Pearl section. I'm going to ask Nehemi a very simple question. Because it's been 10 years now, and I said I would live by the rule that no conversion. He doesn't convert okay. me. I don't convert him. However... Amen. He has uh -oh. now opened the door for something that I will have to now ask him to answer. Uh oh. Nehemiah, is there any time in the Tanakh or in your Jewish tradition sources, sources of Jewish tradition, yeah. where the Word of God uh, becomes seen as a human being, man, anything like that? Is there any time where it becomes uh, where, where where the Word of God is interchanged with 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 a hymn? That's an interesting question. <laughs> so if we go back to no, Proverbs, I'd like 8, to answer the question. Yes. So if we go back to Proverbs eight, the right. the the this divine wisdom, which is then manifest in the Torah, is definitely anthropomorphized. And what I mean by that yes. is it's described in human terms, in the sense right. of you know it's it's the um, the caretaker, the uh, the nurse, and um, and yes. God is playing with it. it. So it's anthropomorphized. And, and here maybe is the crux, the, the, the key difference between the Jews and the Christians, is that Jews look at that when we say that's a metaphor. It's not to be taken literally. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is a symbol for us to understand. And Christians, of course, take that literally and say there was an actual flesh and blood man who came down to earth mm -hmm. and, um, you know, woke up in the morning. And, and um, I won't be graphic, but you now. know what meant on, when they wake on, up in the morning. On. Hold on. Hold on just a second. So you're saying that there is, there is a time in the Tanakh 
where the word of God is anthropomorphized. You, you would say that. Yes, Absolutely. you would say that. Okay, and tell me about Ben Sirot. Has he ever said anything about the, the word of God being a hymn? Certainly, um, you know the, the quote, if you leave him for one day, he will leave you absolutely. for two days. Okay, and he's absolutely. speaking okay. about the word of God. So that's actually okay. a quote from Ben Sira that, that, that's, that appears in the, in the writings of the early rabbis. And it's interesting, they quote Ben Sira as if it were scripture in a number of places. Uh -huh. um, because it was considered such an honor. They, they didn't consider it scripture, but they considered it such an important book of, of Jewish wisdom. It was a book written about 200 B.C., um, it's been preserved in a Greek version, and they actually found the Hebrew version in the Cairo Geniza of Ben Sira, or sometimes called the Wisdom of Syrah. And you're right, Ben Sira, he describes, <clears throat> he says of the Torah, um, and sometimes it's masculine, sometimes it's feminine, he says, uh, if you leave him for one day, uh, he'll leave you for two days about the Torah. Right. And that actually That's is awesome. an idea he gets from the same passage in Joshua 8 that we read before, and I didn't get to the end of it. Joshua 1, uh, sorry, Joshua 1, verse 8, it says, and the, uh, and the book of this Torah shall not be removed from your mouth. You will, yes. uh, you you will, v'hagita bo yomam v'layla. You will meditate it upon it upon it day and day. night. Yes. And, and uh, in order that you will diligently keep all that is written in it. And and this is the key for uh, for from the Jewish perspective. You know, our belief in the Torah and our um, meditating upon the Torah isn't just this abstract idea. The purpose of that is order to diligently do it. Okay. All that here's the money ball question. You believe in the Torah, but diligently do all that's written in it. Then you're, you know, from our perspective. So, so you, Nehemiah, and I just asked this question simply, Jono, and you can certainly, you can certainly referee this. Or so then, Nehemiah, then this one that we call Yeshua uh, yes. for the Messianics and Jesus for the others, uh, if he were to be one that were to perfectly walk out the Torah, that which he says that would be Torah, you would have no problem with uh, following what he would say if it's in line with Torah. Let's go back to what John said earlier, and we read this letter from John, and we kind of glossed over this part, okay? And maybe this yeah. is too controversial. Maybe we should drop this. Give, give There's it to me no straight. way we can drop this. What are you talking about? We're talking about All right. We're going back so to John. if King David were to perfectly walk out the Torah, or oh. Keith Johnson, or Jesus of Nazareth were to perfectly walk out the Torah, mm -hmm. um, I would say, you know, there's somebody who you should look to. And you should um, obviously follow their example. And when they sin, don't follow their example. When David exactly. commits adultery, don't follow the example. Mm -hmm. uh, where we get into a problem between the Jews and the Christians is obviously there's this idea in Christianity where, so they say the Torah is anthropomorphized. I don't even have such a problem with that. You know, mm -hmm. if that's symbol or literal, you know, we, we could discuss that. You know, the book of Job, which I believe you're doing a program on, Jono, uh, called uh, Treasures from the Tanakh with Rabbi Ira. Um, all right, so in Job, some of the Jews have said that Job is actually a metaphor, uh, a metaphor or an allegory, that Job never existed as a literal human being, that he's just an allegory. And whether he did or didn't doesn't make a difference to me. I still look to Job and learn the lesson of Job. Uh, I happen to believe he did exist, but, but it doesn't make a difference. The point would be, if I were to say, Job has taught me this message, now I'm going to worship Job as God. And that's where the Jews have a problem. Uh, yeah, and I, sure. I'm not even saying that. I, I, I really don't want to get into that part. I want to ask this simple question, okay. Jono, and then I, I guess I'll leave this alone. So, Nehemiah, the, 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 when, when the Gospel of John speaks of the Word becoming flesh... Being I'd say all the Jews believe in the Word, and where we, where we disagree is um, about it literally becoming flesh in the, in the form of this specific human being who lived 2,000 years ago. That's, the, that's what you believe in. You believe in mm. the Word now. How that word is applied. Word. Since we're talking about, we're quoting Proverbs eight. Can we can we read that? Sure. Yeah, we got to read it because people are like, well, what are they talking about? Proverbs eight. 
Um, and throughout Proverbs 1 through 11, you, you have this whole section that talks about wisdom in, in mm-hmm. very often in anthropomorphic terms. And specifically, you'll hear wisdom talked about as, as a, this righteous woman. And then mm-hmm. the opposite of wisdom, wickedness, is the, the foreign woman, the prostitute, the, right. the, uh, the seductress. Okay, well, let's read the whole section. It is wisdom calling, understanding, raising her voice. She takes her stand at the topmost heights by the wayside at the crossroads. So here, that's this anthropomorphized wisdom, which is the Torah. Um, and that's a connection, by the way, that's made in Ben Sira uh, as well, mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. the wisdom of 200 BC. She takes her stand at the topmost heights, by the wayside at the crossroads, near the gates at the city entrance, at the entrance way she shouts, Oh man, I call to you, my cry is to all mankind. So the Torah is calling out to all mankind. Can I get an amen, Keith Johnson? Amen, amen. amen. Oh, simple ones, learn shrewdness. Oh, dullards, instruct your minds. This is a JPS translation. Listen, for I speak noble things upright comes my lips. My mouth. Can I do it in an Australian accent? <laughs> is truth. Wickedness is abhorrent to my lips. All my words are just. None of them perverse or crooked. <laughs> was that Not good? Bad, actually. Oh my God. All are straightforward and to, to the intelligent man and right to those. My hang on, hang on, over. hang on, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're, you're cutting in and out. Let me cutting read it for you. Okay? Yeah, read it All now, right. please. From Fox. verse 6. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips uh, will come right things, for my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and, discre- and discretion. The fear of Jehovah is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, better than fine gold, Come on, and my God. revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the path of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasures." A Yehovah possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. I have to read that again. Verse 22. What does it say in Hebrew? In Hebrew it says, uh, Yehovah created me at the beginning of his way. Wow. That is That's interesting. What it says. And, that, and for example, the JPS says, The Lord created me at the beginning of his course as the first of his works of old. And that's actually the same word that we're translating as possessed, uh, possessed me is the same word that... that um, uh, what's his name? Melchizedek. Uh, he refers to God as El Yon Neshamayim Ba'aret. God, uh, possessor of heaven. That kind. Okay, well, Nehemiah, you. I don't know. I don't know if no, you've no, moved no. or what. Clearly, you're we're cutting two in hours or? past. Where he because he's cut off. You're you're running out of batteries. <laughs> no, you, you can't hear me. <laughs> no, you keep cutting no. in and out. You keep cutting in and out. Should I finish chapter eight? What, what, what here? Oh, there. Hold on. Let, let me reboot. Uh, you go and reboot, and I'll. Uh, while you're rebooting, I'll uh, keep reading. <laughs> Come on, don't worry about it. What are you talking about? I love it. Let me read it to the people. You rebuild. What are you talking about? 
you go reboot and let Jono keep reading. It's his I'm going to read it. You know the bits you want to highlight. Come on. Go reboot. <laughs> Off you go. Okay. Keith, you ready? <laughs> He's gone. <laughs> Continue reading, Jono. Let me, let me make sure I'm still recording here. Yeah, we're still recording, Keith. It's you and me. How about that? It's you and me. I'm sorry, Paul. What can we say while he's rebooting? This is brilliant. Come back. All right. I'll, I'll keep reading. Okay. I, I, I have been established. <laughs> I've been established from everlasting. From the beginning, before, uh, from the beginning before there was ever an earth. Way. How about that? When there, now, now, who is this again? This is personified as a woman? This is, well, and it, this, this is the whole idea. It's, we're speaking of the word of God. This is, this is wisdom. This is the one who calls us. This is the one who's, who's holding us accountable. This is it's an amazing... She. It's a she. Yes. Verse 2, she takes a stand on the, on the uh, top of the high hill. <laughs> and, uh, and what she, wisdom, is saying is that Yehovah created me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting from the beginning before there was ever an earth where there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there are no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. Mm-hmm. As yet, he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the, of the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's back. He's back. I'm up to verse 27. <laughs> 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 I've just done, I've just no, done continue, a few verses Jono. there. Hurry up. Hurry up, Jono. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When when he drew a circle on on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountain of the deep, when he assigned uh, to the sea its limits, so that the waters could not tr- uh, transgress his command, when he marked out the fountains of the earth, when I was bes- then then I was beside him yes. as a master craftsman. Mm-hmm. She was a master craftsman. How do I understand that? Well, that's actually a play on words, because the word that means master craftsman can also mean a nurse. Yes. Um, that is like a nanny. And so, on the one hand, she was the that which she was essentially the blueprint of uh, the architect of the universe. God, and that's where the rabbis got the idea. God looked at her and used that as a blueprint for creating the world mm-hmm. from that verse. Um, but the same word could also be a she. she She's the one who um, God created mankind, then turned us over into her hand. She was the one who raised us up so that we could learn how to become men. She, mm-hmm. She's like, our uh, she's our nursemaid. Like right. Paul saying, "There's a there's a schoolmaster." I'm telling you, this is this is where he so, got the so idea. Paul. So actually, you, you say that maybe jokingly, but no, Paul, I'm dead serious. Three, Are you so serious? Three, so three times in the book of Galatians re- references this verse. Um, and in some Bibles, you'll even see that in the notes that that this is the oh, verse yeah. that that references back to. I and didn't know that. that. I want to throw Paul drop. under the bus. This is this is this is good stuff here. This, <laughs> this is, I didn't know so, that. So, so that's rabbis brilliant. also take this verse in the same way as having both meanings. You know, that's, that's sometimes you have that in. Uh, it's called Tishma. No, he's cutting in and out again, Keith. He's out again. Let's he's continue. out again. He's cutting in. I'm, I'm going to keep reading. And then no, <laughs> no, no, you're cutting in and out. Stop it. And I was daily, his, I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children, but blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. And do- blessed are those who keep Now, therefore, listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Amen. Wisdom, which is the tw- ah, you're cutting in and out. No one no, can hear. Hear the instruction. And, hear the instruction and be wise, and do not. 
No, no you there's can... something wrong with your your. And all, right. like, folks that are listening will know this is true. You're you're you're, you're going like this. Reboot the computer. I'm gonna reboot the whole computer. Be back in a few minutes. Didn't, didn't he just do that? Continue reading. <laughs> I, I thought he I thought he already rebooted his computer. Okay, hear the instruction and be wise, and do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors for whoever finds. Me finds Stop life. Jono, Jono. Okay. He says, he says, blessed is the man that listens to me. Where, where, where's the listening to me come from? And the word of God. It's, it ties into this whole thing we're talking about. Coming once every seven years. The word of God. When Moses stands up and says, hear the word of Yehovah. The prophets say, hear the word of Yehovah. This is the word of God. This is an amazing, it's an amazing picture. And what I was trying to get, uh, Nehemiah, really wasn't so much of the issue of evangelism re- regarding Yeshua. It really had, had any, little to do with that. It had the idea with the image that John was speaking about regarding the word of God being flesh. He wasn't the first to bring that up. We see that in, way back in Proverbs, that the word of God has become flesh, meaning it's calling forth the people. It's calling the people uh, to be exactly who they're to be according to the word of God. So that's where that's why this is such an important um, discussion. And that's awesome, Keith. I'm really glad that... No, no, I'm glad we're taking the time to do this. There's, I mean, I've never connected that before. Uh, and the final two verses, uh, so whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from Yehovah, but he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. Amen. All those who hate me love death. And what? And what? And who lo- who hate me hate the word of God. And you know what, Jono? As we're here waiting for Nehemiah to reboot, but uh, this this is really interesting because isn't that what we're dealing with? Why do we do this program? We want people to again un- be able to embrace, to understand, to grab a hold of the word of God and to make the Word of God what it's supposed to be in their lives. Amen. That's what Proverbs 8 is calling people to, and I would go so far as to say that that's what John, in the image John has in his mind, mm. is the Word of God becoming flesh, meaning that the Word of God would be able to call us back. And, and, and to be honest, what is exciting about this, when I do read in Yeshua saying, you know, those who love uh, me love the Father or follow the commands, those are things that don't get preached as very often. Mm. You know, we don't hear about following the word of God, meaning the, the word that's, you know, that you and I mm. are trying to, uh, to to give people access to. So it, it's Amen. pretty exciting. Amen. Thank, thank you, Keith. So G'day! Hey, we're good. <laughs> we're good. Nehemiah back. back. <laughs> Nehemiah, we're, so Nehemiah is back on. Wait, did you guys finish Proverbs 8? Did I miss it? <laughs> yeah, no, we, we, we read all the way through Proverbs chapter 8. Where, okay. what, what do you want to highlight? Proverbs 8, uh, verse 22 Oh, and what it literally says in Hebrew, you read it as Yehovah possessed me or something mm-hmm. like that. And what it literally says is Yehovah created me at the beginning of his way. And, yeah. um, and, and so really there's this idea that the first thing he created was this word, was this wisdom. And, um, and that is identified, as I said, with the Torah. And actually throughout Proverbs it's identified with the Torah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so here's this really radical idea that there's this Torah that exists, this word that exists before the creation of the world, and Yehovah uses that word to create the world, uses that wisdom, that Torah, to create the world. And that's where the rabbis get the idea of God looked into the world, uh, or looked into wisdom and created the world, or looked into the Torah mm-hmm. and created the world. In verse 30, read verse 30 again. So verse 30 says, when I was beside him as a master craftsman. Mm-hmm. Is that what you got in your translation, Keith? Let's see here. Hold on, I already moved on. We were actually talking about uh, Deuteronomy 31 while you were gone. <laughs> what? No, you weren't. Are you serious? <laughs> I missed the boat. <laughs> Hold on here. Let's see here. 
one second, folks. It is I, 30. Did you guys get that? Then, uh, then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence. Okay, so that word that they translate as the craftsman, uh, or the artisan, it could also be translated, can mm-hmm. also mean um, a, a nursemaid or a nanny and uh, or, or a school teacher. In, in, in effect, this is uh, Amon is the, you know the care of the child while mother is off doing a nanny, a nursemaid. No, this is this is unbelievable, Keith. No, it's every this time, is great. Every so, time he tries to make this point, he no, keeps no, no, cutting he just, it out. No, I'm seriously cutting okay. it out. This is a sign. God doesn't want me to. This, this, <laughs> this move on. is just bizarre. No, let's move on. Okay, okay let's move on. So we're... we're <laughs> I, I got to share this. What are you talking about? This is golden stuff. It's golden. It's golden, Jerry. I'm going to try one more time. <laughs> try again. Proverbs 8. It descri- in the <laughs> Man. In what any of it. So Proverbs 8. In your translation, it describes the Torah, this wisdom, this pre-existent wisdom, as the master craftsman. But that same word can also be... Um, uh, a teacher or uh, a caretaker, and um, and literally, a, a, in a sense, uh, a nurse, and um, the one that raises up the child. And actually, it's been pointed out by by um, by a number of uh, historical scholars that when Paul in in the Book of Galatians, mm-hmm. the Epistle of Galatians, when he actually talks about That's my money uh, ball, I just brought that up. Why are you? <laughs> no, my so they actually ball. point out that he's referencing this verse. Um, when he uh, when he talks about the you know the Torah as as a as a caretaker as a teacher, and and essentially the idea there uh, in Proverbs eight is that Yehovah created the universe through this through this Torah through this wisdom through this mm-hmm. word uh, and you know and then turned mankind over into the hands of that word to teach us how to become uh, how to become men just like you'd turn your your child over into the hands of the nanny. Mm-hmm. Um, and the nanny would raise up the child to be a, uh, an adult, and so so we've been turned over into the hands of the Torah. And the difference, I, like I said, between Judaism and Christianity is that Jews say, okay, that's that's a, a metaphor, a symbol, that the Torah isn't literally a woman. And um, obviously in Christianity, when it talks about, uh, in John, it's saying the word became flesh, and that's not just a symbol, I, I, I you know would say for most Christians, that it's, you know, that they literally believe that. Um, but we both believe in the same word, and that's where that's what excites me about the common ground. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Well, this right. has been an amazing uh, two hours. It's incredible. <laughs> Proverbs chapter eight. Who would have thought? I so much in there. All right, moving on. Um, oh, no, first, we, did we do twelve and thirteen? We we did. We did no, twelve, and 12 and thirteen. They're talking about is the entire gathering every seven. Years. And I talk about this in my video that people can see. What are you online. talking about? I just did twelve and thirteen about the seven years when I was away. What? <laughs> All right, but I want to give my, my take on it. So, no, he's gone. He's, I don't know what's going on with your signal, Nehemia, but it's she's a no good today. Whoop. I can't even hear him. He's gone, ladies That's and gentlemen. Thing. This no, seriously, no. seriously, something's he, wrong, Nehemia. So, can I talk about Deuteronomy thirty-one, twelve to thirteen, people? Okay, now you sound clear. Go for it. Excellent. So I'm going to say this real quick before I get cut off again. So Deuteronomy thirty-one, twelve to thirteen is one of the nineteen most important passages in the entire Bible. Twenty. 20. 20, 20 most important passages in the entire Bible, because here it describes every seventh year the entire nation, men, women, and children would come and hear the Torah. And for me, this was really important in my upbringing, because I was always taught that we can't understand the Torah by ourselves, that we have to have a rabbi explain it to us, that we have to go through the intermediary of the oral law in order to understand us. And a normal ancient Israelite who was hearing the Torah wouldn't understand what it meant. And that's why we needed to have this oral law, this oral Torah that I was taught about being raised as an Orthodox Jew. Um, 
you know, I couldn't accept this. And when I came to this passage, it proved to me that this isn't how the Torah was intended to be understood. The way it was intended to be understood is a simple ancient Israelite would hear the Torah once every seven years and know how to learn to keep it. Mm-hmm. And verse 12 says, Gather the nation, the men, the women, the children, and the sojourner who is in your gates in order that they will hear. Say hear. Amen. Hear. Uh-huh. In order that they will learn. Say learn. Learn. Uh-huh. And hear Jehovah your God. Say fear. Fear. Uh-huh. And diligently do all the words of this Torah. So there's four things here. learn, fear, and diligently do. And then verse 13 says, and their children who did not know. These children who have never heard the Torah before. They're eight years old, nine years old. They're two last time the Torah was read. They've never heard it before. Mm. They will hear and they will learn to fear Jehovah your God all the days which you live upon the land which you are passing over the Jordan there to inherit. So these children have never heard it before. They can't even keep it. They're too young to keep it. Mm-hmm. But they'll hear it. And by hearing it, they'll learn it and they'll know to fear. And when they're old enough to keep it, then they'll be able to keep it. And this is key to me. This is a key passage because this shows me how the Torah was, in, by its author, how he intended this book to be understood and read. Mm-hmm. He didn't intend us to take the word and break it down into its numerical value and say, uh, you know, the word people has such and such a value and and therefore, you know, he wanted us to hear it and by hearing the words in their original history, language, and context, as they were standing there once every seven years, mm-hmm. they would learn it and they would learn to fear and they would diligently keep the Torah. Keep this living, breathing word. Can I get an amen? Amen, amen. amen. That's it. Brilliant. That's awesome. Brilliant. Now, in uh, Keith, in, in uh, verses uh, 1 and 2, we already established that it's Moses' birthday. But here in verse 14, <laughs> Yehovah said to Moses, Behold, the days are approaching when you must die. Yes. Party on that sucks. Yeah. yeah. Call Joshua and present yourself in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him. So uh, Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now Yehovah appeared in the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud and uh, and the pillar of clouds stood above the door of the tabernacle. And Yehovah said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers and this people will rise and play the harlot with other gods uh, of the foreigner of the land where they go uh, to be among them, and they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I made with them. Then my anger will be aroused against them that uh, I- in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, mm-hmm. and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us, and I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done, in that they have turned to other gods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've got to yes. talk about the, the, that verse there um, where it talks about breaking the covenant. Can, can you read that verse, Keith? Which version? A 16. Yeah, is that 16? Verse 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, you are, not, you, are, you are going to rest with your fathers, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. Okay. And break the covenant. For, and you had, what did you I, have? I've got break the covenant which I have made with them, yeah. Okay, so the word there is more specific than just break the covenant. It says vehefer, and that root there, lehefer, hefer, means not just to break the covenant, but to invalidate the covenant, essentially mm-hmm. to make it null and void. And the example is in, of that of how that word is used is in Proverbs thirty verse nine, and there it's talking about the vow. And we did this in an earlier portion. It talks about how the husband has this ability to invalidate his wife's vow. And can mm-hmm. you read that in your translation, Jonah? 
Yep, yep. What, what was the reference again? Prover- uh, oh, sorry, uh, Numbers 30, verse 9. My head's yep. still in Proverbs. <laughs> yeah, Numbers 30. No, I never said verse... anything in Proverbs. Just don't go there. It's, it's... <laughs> okay, let me go to 8. So, but if her husband overrules her on the day that, that he hears it, he shall make void her vow, which she took. <laughs> he shall make void her vow. And that's there the is? same exact word as in, Prover- uh, in Deuteronomy 31, verse 16, to make void her vow. And here, and he will make void my covenant. He will invalidate my covenant. So it isn't just mm-hmm. that they you know, slipped up and they, they messed up and they, and they you know, uh, had a ham sandwich. We're talking about them saying, you can eat ham sandwiches now. That that covenant is null mm-hmm. and void. That's mm-hmm. what he's talking about in Proverbs. Uh, sorry, <laughs> in Deuteronomy thirty-one verse sixteen. And the reason I think that's so interesting is when I re- read that verse um, thirty-one sixteen, and and I thought of the, the connotation here in, in Numbers thirty. Uh, I guess that's verse eight in the English. Um, you know the, about a husband who mm-hmm. makes null and void his wife's vow. The association for me came, that came up is uh, from a different book, which I hope I'm allowed to quote. It's from the Gospel of Matthew. Can I quote that here? Are we allowed to talk about that? This is the second. No. Hey, <laughs> what's going on? Look, He's I can't help closer. it. <laughs> you can't help it, Keith. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And the reason I, I have the association is that in the Hebrew version of the Gospel of Matthew, it uses yep. the same exact word as in Numbers 30, verse 8. Oh, it does. In, okay. And as in um, uh, uh, Deuteronomy 31, so what, verse what 16, is the, which is to make it. void the covenant. And, so do not uh, think that I came to make void the Lord. Do not think that I, I came to make void the Torah or the prophets. I did not come mm-hmm. to make void, but to fulfill. Is that what you're saying? That's what it says in, in Hebrew Matthew. It says, okay. uh, literally, at that time, Yeshua said to his disciples, do not think that I came to make void the Torah, uh, which I think is pretty cool. So yeah, <laughs> it talks yeah, here about... How, you know how um, in Deuteronomy thirty-one sixteen talks about um, you know and, and the nation will leave me and and he shall make void my covenant and mm-hmm. we see the, the the meaning of that term is to you know you have this vow that you've made this this commitment you've made and mm-hmm. you say that commitment is now null and void it no longer stands and he's accusing Israel that one day they will do that and here this man who has been accused by uh, many many people of doing that uh, this rabbi who lived 2,000 years ago he specifically says don't think that I have come to make void the Torah I'm not mm-hmm. coming to make void this covenant of yours there it is Interesting. Clear mm-hmm. now therefore write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel Whoa, 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 what happened first? Hey, what do you mean? Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, verses 17 to 18, we got to talk about that. Okay, so I talk, oh, and maybe I'll just ref, refer people to my book, uh, Shattering the Conspiracy of Silence, The Hebrew Power of the Priestly Blessing Unleashed, because mm. verses 17 to 18 of Deuteronomy 31 talk about Yehovah hiding his face, which is mm. a very uh, prominent concept in the Tanakh, this idea of Yehovah fi- hiding his face when Israel sins. And let me just read a few verses that um, I talk about this, like I said, in more detail in Shattering the Conspiracy of Silence, Hebrew Power of the Priesthood, Blessing Unleashed, which you can get from NehemiahsWall.com. But for those who haven't had a chance to read the book, Isaiah 45, 15, Verily thou art God, thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel the Savior. So what does it mean that he hides himself? What that means um, is that in essentially when we sin, Yehovah goes behind the scenes. He stops looking at us and giving us the type of miracles that we, we've kind of come to expect from the first four books of the Torah. Um, he says, okay, you're sinning. I'm going to hide myself, and, and, and I'll still interfere and intervene with your lives, but it's going to be from behind the scenes. 
Mm-hmm. And then Isaiah 40, 54, 8. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says Jehovah, your Redeemer. Isaiah 64, 7. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you for you. Oh, I got to read that again. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste because of our sins. Mm. Wow. Isn't that, doesn't that ring true today? <laughs> Ezekiel thirty nine twenty nine. Neither will I hide my face any more from them. Well, I can't wait till that comes to pass. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, says Lord Jehovah. And may that day come soon. Amen. 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 Now, therefore, okay, here we go. We're going to hammer through this, Keith. You've got to help me out here. <laughs> now, therefore, write down this song for yourselves to teach it to the children of Israel, to put it in their mouth, uh, that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat. Then they shall turn to other gods and serve them, and they shall provoke me and break my covenant. Is it the same there? Same word, void. so it's not just breaking the covenant. It's saying now the covenant is null and void. We don't have to keep doing this. Mm. We can bow down to the idols at Dan and Bethel. We can uh, you know, bring offerings on every high uh, hill and under every leafy tree that mm. isn't really forbidden in the Torah, making void the covenant. Not just we you can, screw up, you know, you mess up in a moment of weakness. No, we, we, we can about, throw, it, throw the baby out with the bathwater because exactly. there is no more covenant. The, all the commandments are no longer. Then it shall be. When many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song will testify against them as a witness, for it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants. Is is that true, Nehemiah? Um, that's a commandment. <laughs> it's I a would commandment. Say, well, look, I would it? say I would say in a sense it's not forgotten because um, you know it's written down in the book, and mm-hmm. um, you know every every year uh, Jews around the world when they get to this Torah portion read this in the synagogue. And True. so now what my understanding from this passage is that we're actually supposed to memorize this. Now, most uh-huh. Jews don't memorize it. And I'll admit to you that I struggle to <laughs> be able to recite this by heart. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason for that is, you know, they've actually done these, these studies. Anthropologists have gone and studied um, societies where people don't have writing. And what mm-hmm. they found is in illiterate societies um, or preliterate societies that the people have much greater memories because they've got to remember things. Whereas um, one of the the things I was always taught is don't memorize scripture. Let me repeat that. I was taught that it's forbidden to memorize scripture. Really? That scripture always has to be read out of the book. And the reason I was taught that is they said, this is the Orthodox upbringing. They said the oral law that was meant to be memorized. The written scripture has to be written. And the reason is that the oral law, if you quote, quote it exactly or not exactly, wasn't that important. You could get the word slightly different. It didn't change the essential meaning. But every single letter of the Torah, of the, of the written scripture, is the word of God, the letters of God. And therefore, you must not recite it by heart because you might misquote it. Mm. You might change one of the letters or one of the words when you're, when you're quoting it by heart. And therefore, you must read it out of the book. Now, I'm not saying this is true. I'm just saying this is what, what I was taught growing up. So, the, so it's interesting. I'll meet Christians who will you know, start reciting for me entire chapters of the book of Zechariah or entire chapters of, you know, of the various epistles of the New Testament. And, and to me, that's this interesting novelty because I was taught don't memorize Scripture, that, that it's, it's unrighteous to memorize Scripture because you'll end up changing it. But I do think that testifies to how seriously my people, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, have taken the word of God. True. Yeah, yeah. Maybe so we'll not be- it, but it shows that they definitely took it very seriously in preserving every single letter. 
and not forgotten in the mouths of their descendants. It goes on to say, For I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I have brought them into the land which I swore to give them. Therefore Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Then he inaugurated uh, Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong, and here we are again, be strong and of good courage, for, witness. for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. And so it was when Moses had completed writing the words of the law in a book, then they were finished. Then Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenants of Jehovah, saying, Take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant uh, of Jehovah your God, that it may be there as a witness against you, for I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against Jehovah, then how much more after my death Gather me, uh, gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth as witnesses against them, Keith. Heaven and earth as witness against them. Amen. For, for I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded and uh, commanded you and evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of Jehovah to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. And then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. We're going to hear Nehemiah Gordon sing that song next we week, aren't we? Yeah. I'm not oh, sure no. about that. <laughs> no, 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 no. About that. <laughs> well, maybe Keith. Come on, Keith, you know it, surely. No. Come on. <laughs> okay. One of us is going to sing That might not be a good week. idea. <laughs> One of us is going to sing it next week. Is there anything in those closing verses that we want to highlight? Uh, absolutely. I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back to verse twenty-four and twenty-five just really briefly, sure. and here it talks about and, and it came to pass. And we talked about this just briefly before. It came to pass when Moses finished writing the words of this Torah upon a book, and it literally says in Hebrew "ad tumam," until their completion, and um, <clears throat> or until completion. And, and so, so I'm going to say something a little bit controversial. Um, you know what? I'm going to save it for a future Torah portion. I'm going to save it for the final Torah portion. I'm not going to say it. There it is. All right. Edit this out. All right. I'm editing that out. Listen, you know what we haven't done? What have we done? Our the prayer. prayer. You haven't said the prayer, Keith, would you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Father, thank you so much for this chance to uh, open up your word. Thank you so much that we also uh, want you to open up our eyes, our hearts, our minds, that we might see the wonderful and most amazing and beautiful things in your Torah. Amen. 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 Thank Amen. you, Keith Johnson and Nehemiah Gordon. You've been listening to Torah Pearls on Truth to You Radio. We can also freely download this and other Torah Pearls programs at truthtoyou.org. That's truth number two, letter you.org. Next week, we are in Ha'azinu, Deuteronomy 32, verse 1 to 32, verse 52. It is the Song of Moses. And until then, dear listener, be blessed, be set apart by the truth of our Father's word. Shalom. 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 Shalom.